Right, so now I'm here with uh, David Watson, who um, built the whole of Moorforge. You all right, David? I'm fine, thank you. Um, can you very briefly tell the development of the site and the buildings and what kind of activities are going on at the moment? Uh, yeah, when it's been, we've been building here for the past nearly 10 years now. We've been sort of slowly developing it into a usable Viking site and we're uh, increasing use and we've got more and more things happening. Uh, of course, we've got Steve's book flood this week, which will be excellent at Schneidville. So, uh, but I mean, we have our regular music nights, uh, regular educational events, we have our school visits. So, yeah, it's something that we're building on and we're developing it and it's getting busier and busier. And can you just give us a quick summary of the buildings that are on site now? Currently, we have our original build, which is the small Viking period forge. Uh, uh, a nine meter longhouse, which is where the book flood is. We have a little uh, woodworking shelter outside and we're currently on with the uh, frame of a very large longhouse, a 19 meter longhouse, which will be for next year's book flood, we hope. <laughs> So that was with a chirpy and optimistic David Watson, builder of the Moorforge Viking settlement. And a little bit later that day, we recorded our first author talk, which was Dr. Kim Moore, and talking about her book, What the Trumpet Taught Me. So I'm going to be reading from What the Trumpet Taught Me, which is, um, I call it a lyric essay, uh, which is um, a kind of combination. It's basically a form that where I can do what I like, so it's a kind of cross between poetry prose, memoir, um, a little bit of um, kind of academic essay, but very light touch. Um, I thought, I'm, I'm, my other books are all poetry, but um, yeah, I thought what would be commercially less viable than poetry? I know, a lyric essay. Um, <clears throat> so it's called What the Trumpet Taught Me. So now I work as a freelance writer, but for 12 years I worked as a, as a music teacher and played semi-professionally. Um, until I eventually basically stopped playing because I got um, started suffering from performance anxiety. So I decided I wasn't enjoying it anymore and I just put my trumpet away and didn't play for about 10 years. Um, and then uh, really during lockdown, um, so music has always been really important to me, but it's it always felt like a bit of a kind of a bruise inside when people asked about it. I would always keep my writing and my music very separate. And then during lockdown, I was kind of trapped in the house like lots of people and the trumpet was just kind of sat in the corner, um, like staring at me. I could feel its its presence. And um, I just thought, I'm going to start writing about it. And I ended up writing in this in this prose form. Um, so it's kind of short little bits of prose and each one, I'm sorry, you can't see on the podcast, but each one is separated by a little hand drawing of a, of a trumpet in all different shaped trumpets and cornets. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to read a couple of a couple of sections. <clears throat> so what the trumpet taught me. I'm ten years old when my teacher asks the class who would like to play a brass instrument. Because I'm the sort of child who volunteers for everything, my hand shoots into the air. And though I believe I'm never chosen, this time my teacher picks me, along with my twin sister and two other children in the class. I don't even know what a brass instrument is but I know I want to be chosen. In our school, everyone knows what recorders and violins are. We have a school orchestra led by a teacher called Mrs M. 
If you, if you show promise on the recorder, eventually Mrs M invites you to change to the violin. Mrs M writes letters above the musical notes for the recorders, but the violin players have to learn to read music. When she offers me the violin, I refuse. I know the violin sounds terrible. I blame the instrument rather than the children wielding the bow. Mrs M has short dark hair and huge spectacles. She writes out parts so we can accompany the whole school in hymn practice. Every morning we line up in front of the piano to practice together. Mrs M's voice is harsh and nasal. She can cut through twenty squeaking recorders and out-of-tune violins without even standing up from her piano stool. We play as the rest of the school sing along, using books held together with tape along the spines. Hymns like When a Night One Is Spurs, my favourite because the words feel like a poem, or He's Got the Whole World in His Hands, which I hated because it was repetitive and dull. Um, so our teacher, we had this brass teacher who came along and told us to go along to a brass band because um, that was one of the few places, well, it's the, one of the only places you can get free musical instruments from, even now. Um, hi! Um, even nowadays, you can go along to a brass band and you can get an instrument for 50p a week um, subscription or sometimes free. So the teacher obviously clocked that my family couldn't afford to pay for an instrument. They couldn't buy me a trumpet or anything. So me and my sister went along to a brass band who we were given an instrument for free and um, we got kind of obsessed with, with banding after that. So I went to um, a junior band, first of all. I stay behind after junior band rehearsal to listen to the senior band. They play the theme tune to Rocky. I don't know it's the theme tune to Rocky. I think it's the most profound and beautiful thing I've ever heard. I have goosebumps on my arms, although it's not the staccato fanfare of the cornets at the beginning, but the entrance of the lower brass that makes my heart lurch. At some point in the piece, it feels like the music turns. It's at this point I understand what yearning means, although I don't have a name for it, this feeling, this longing. Later, I understand this was a key change, but this is 1992. I'm 11 years old and falling in love. And every year, playing hymns in Victoria Park at the Cenotaph, learning the last post by heart, standing in band uniform and no extra coats allowed and just thin black shoes and the girls must wear skirts and no woolly hats when you play, it's not part of the uniform, though gloves, black, are allowed. Rock on your heels if your feet are tired or cold. Don't look bored, the rhythm of the service running through you. Not just the hymns, the cannon firing and the birds scattering into the sky, but also the words. They shall not grow old as we who are left grow old. November circling around again, and always grey and always cold, and thinking, you'll be part of this every year of your life. The open fifth, the call unanswered. <laughs>
And I did, I have played the last post every year since the age of about 11, um, often in, mostly in services, but there was a couple of years through COVID um, where I, there, was, there wasn't a, a service, so I did it in my backyard. Um, the, what actually in COVID year, I did it in the front street and all the, all the neighbors came out, but if nobody asked me to do it, I stand and do it in my backyard at the, at the appropriate time. Um, so threaded through this kind of memoir is this story or this, this history that I got obsessed with, um, which is about the oldest trumpets in the world, which were found in King Tutankhamun's tomb. Um, and the more I read about this story, the more I, I thought it just, it, there's no point making anything up anymore because it was so fantastical, the story of these two trumpets. Um, and there's lots of kind of parallels through the book. So um, I, I saved up for a long time for my trumpet, which I've got now. Um, and then, lot, well, not this trumpet. I saved up for a professional trumpet, a Vincent Bark Strad trumpet, which back in those days when I was 18 cost um, £1,800 without VAT. So that was a lot of money for an 18-year-old to, uh, to save up for. And when I got to music college, I lost it. So that's all, that story is all in the book. But the oldest trumpets in the world also were lost as well. One of them was that they were actually stolen um, from the Cairo Museum in the Egyptian, uh, in the uprising. And the way they got the trump, they got it back because the, um, the curator of the museum put like an article out in the national newspaper because there's a legend that the trumpets are cursed. So he said to everyone, he said, you know, you must bring this trumpet back because they're cursed, they'll bring bad luck. And the trumpet was left in the metro station in a bag and it got handed back. Um, so it's still, it's back in the museum now. Um, so I'm just gonna read a little extract about, about those trumpets. The oldest trumpets in the world were discovered in King Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922 by British archeologist Howard Carter. One of the trumpets was made of silver, the other of bronze. When they were found, they'd not been played for 3,000 years. I imagine picking the silver trumpet up, how light it would be, like a hollow branch. I imagine balancing the weight of it in my hand, of the journey towards the mouth, of filling it with breath for the first time in centuries. In 1939, British bandsman James Tappan was chosen to play the trumpets found in King Tutankhamun's tomb live on BBC Radio. In the recording, he blows three notes. I can hear how he's riding each one, straining to keep control of it, to find his way around the instrument. Of course, that's not the whole story. The first attempt to play the trumpets ended in disaster. A bandsman from the Egyptian army was originally chosen for the task and valiantly tried to wring more than a single pitch from the silver trumpet with no success. He then decided to use a modern bugle mouthpiece. The stories of what happened next vary, but I'm shocked when I read one account that the nameless bandsman, because the bugle mouthpiece did not fit properly, smacked it with the palm of his hand further into the trumpet. The silver trumpet shattered into fragments and the bandsman was left holding only the stem. Alfred Lucas, a member of Howard Carter's archaeological team, was hospitalised with shock. Even more extraordinarily, King Farouk, the King of Egypt, happened to be touring the Cairo Museum and entered the room just as the trumpet shattered. The king then got down on his hands and knees to help gather up the precious shards of silver. So I'm just going to read two more little bits. Once upon a time, 
a girl and a man walked for two days in the wild. The man was a kind of teacher and had known the girl since she was ten, but she also thought of him as a friend, also thought of him as a kind of other father. The man bought a cheap second-hand trumpet. He said he wanted to learn, but really he bought it because he loved to hear the girl play and he wanted her to play for him. The girl would not bring her precious cornet into the wild, and so the man bought his trumpet, not understanding the world of difference between the two instruments. The man carried the trumpet for many miles in the wild, up and down hills, through bogs and streams and across stepping stones and bridges. The trumpet was wedged in his rucksack without a case, the mouthpiece and the lead pipe thrusting upwards from the opening of the bag at a slight slant to the sky. The man and the girl talked about poetry and music and university and language and not just what she wanted to be when she was older but who she wanted to be. They talked for hours as they walked and didn't notice that the sun had slipped away from the world and that dusk had arrived. In the distance, lights from a faraway farmhouse blinked into existence. The man began unpacking the tent and handed the girl the trumpet. He told her to play something, anything. Play something Spanish, he said, and at first the girl protested. She was shy, nervous, worrying they would get in trouble somehow for making a noise in such a quiet place, but eventually she lifted the trumpet to her mouth and called across the hills. At the first note, farm dogs started to bark and more lights came on in the distance. The man laughed and the girls smiled as they imagined the people, safe and warm in their houses, and what they might think of the strange sound floating in on the wind. Eventually the girl changed into a woman, and so the man tried to change from a teacher, father, friend into a man, and then something inside the girl was broken, or if not broken, made still, or if not made still, left in shadow, never to be looked at again, or spoken of, or thought of, or acknowledged. Despite this, she remembers that night with great love. The hill, and the blue-grey quality of the dusk, and the sound of the trumpet going out into good, clean air, and the dogs barking, and the wild echoes. She will remember it her whole life, the light and the darkness the sound and the silence. So I'm just going to read a bit I haven't read before because um, the book is called What, what the Trumpet Taught Me but I started off playing cornet in brass bands which is a completely different instrument. Um, and then moved to trumpet when I was eight, when I was 16 and I got a new trumpet teacher and he said there'll be more opportunities to play on the trumpet because cornets are pretty much brass band and a few very particular orchestral pieces whereas trumpet you can play in lots of different different bands so I moved to trumpet but of course the that was why I had to save up for a trumpet because the brass band I had a two and a half thousand pound instrument for 50p a week subscription um, when I had to buy the trumpet, I had to save up for it myself. Um, so the book talks about that that process. Um, my trumpet teacher lent me his trumpet and it was held together with 
elastic bands and a bit of gaffer tape around the water key. Um, and I was in this kind of race against time to save up enough money before the trumpet just disintegrated in my hands. And I did, you know, I did get there. But and I should say as well, eventually I became a trumpet teacher for 12 years. So this is talking about that time um, when I was a trumpet teacher driving around Cumbria. In lesson after lesson, I'm asked by students what the difference is between the trumpet and the cornet. I'm always rushing and there's never enough time to do everything, to teach whatever I'm teaching that week, to fill in the practice diary, to be encouraging, to be interested, to answer questions. I always mumble something about the cornet being smaller, more compact. I know this is not a useful or complete answer to the question. Now I look back and feel guilty that I didn't try harder to answer, that I wasn't a better teacher, that I didn't use it as an opportunity to encourage the students to research and find out for themselves. I could have told them about the history of the instruments, that the trumpet was made to stand out, to play fanfares and at ceremonial occasions, that the cornet was designed to blend in, part of a larger cornet section in a brass band, that understanding this is central to understanding the difference between them. I could have told the student that both instruments are exactly the same length of tubing, but the cornet has four curves whilst the trumpet has two. I could have talked about the shepherd's crook shape to the cornet, how the extra curves make it look smaller, how a cornet is less likely to droop when given to a young player. I could have talked about the trumpet's cylindrical bore and the cornet's conical one, how the bell flare on each instrument happens in a different place, that the bell of the trumpet is further from the mouth, meaning the cornet feels closer to the heart, meaning the trumpet is better for hiding behind, meaning, meaning, meaning what? I could have kept it simple, saying the cornet sound is mellow and rich, the trumpet sound bright and piercing, but that is so oversimplistic I can hardly bear to write it, and I know it's not quite true, because I've heard trumpet players who pick up a cornet and still sound like trumpet players, and cornet players who pick up a trumpet and sound only like cornet players, and this is a mystery to me, and also perfectly clear. I could have talked to them about cornets being part of a working class tradition of brass banding, though at one time nearly every pit and colliery and shipyard would have had a brass band attached to them, that it was a way of keeping workers from organising politically and causing trouble. But that might have led to a discussion about class, and I definitely wouldn't have had time for that in a 30 minute lesson. I could have said I was given a cornet for free, and I worked and saved and scrimped for my trumpet. I could have said when I played the cornet, I was a big fish in a small pond. When I played the trumpet, I drowned. I could have said, I have earned money with my trumpet, but nothing with my cornet. I could have said, when I auditioned for music college on the trumpet, I was asked again and again why I didn't just come with my cornet, because they could tell I was a cornet player. But though these are answers, they're not the answers to the question. How alarming that even from this distance, after all these years, I'm floundering when I try to begin that there's still an impossibility here when I try to articulate the difference in language. Um, I realised then, as I was reading that, I know now why I don't read it out, because it's a bit um, niche, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit... Um, thank you. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish now um, with the last bit of the book, and thank you for organising this, Steve, um, in this beautiful place. I should. I feel like I need to introduce you to the trumpet because you didn't. Uh, that, that's that's Vincent. That's that's Annie. That's Hi. Sean. Hi. <laughs> it's Vincent. So I've had Vincent since I was eighteen and a half. So he is my second trumpet because um, 
I lost the first one, as I said, and never got it back. Yeah, it's a Vincent Bark Stradivarius with a 43-inch bell reverse tube, tube, reverse tubing, tube, reverse slide. You don't know what you got, do you? Reverse tuning slide. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I've got. Reverse, it's a Viking horn. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. I pick the trumpet up in my left hand. It still feels like it fits there, though I haven't played for months now. This instrument is 22 years old and has been with me over half my life. The lacquer is worn away in multiple places, especially around the valve casing. The worst place is at the front of the first valve, where my left thumb often slides from the first valve ring and up onto the casing when I'm playing in the higher register, but the lacquer's eroding everywhere. Human sweat has acid in it, and it's this that eats away at the lacquer on brass instruments. I don't remember who told me this, maybe one of the male trumpet players at music college, carefully wiping down their trumpet with a bar towel they carried in their cases after every rehearsal. I've never wiped my trumpet down after playing. Maybe I haven't looked after it enough, but I never had any interest in it looking pristine. If someone else picks it up, I want them to feel the marks my hands have made on the metal. I don't want to wipe the sweat, the work away. If you held my trumpet up in front of your face but pointing the bell toward the sky, you might notice something else a little odd. The main tube that leads to the bell is bent slightly to the right. It doesn't run in a straight parallel line alongside the lead pipe as it should. This is the legacy of a car crash from about ten years ago when a transit van ploughed into the back of me. I thought the trumpet, stored in the boot in a soft leather gig bag, would be a write-off, but it was repaired, resurrected from being squashed and almost split in half. So this trumpet has survived a car crash and multiple house moves across the country and my laziness at never wiping it down and in all honesty not cleaning it enough, never giving it enough baths, enough attention, enough love, because yes, you should bathe a trumpet. You should strip it down to its constituent parts, taking out the valves first and laying them on a towel, taking out the first valve slide and the second valve slide and the third valve slide and the main tuning slide, letting them sink to the bottom of the bath of water and soak. You should push a bendy brush through the trumpet as many different ways as you can find to clean out the hidden places it contains. Clean out all that your breath has deposited inside it. I should have done this much more often than I have. I curve my right hand into the letter C, place my fingertips on the valves, my little finger in the finger ring. I take a deep breath. I ask what I have always asked of it, and we begin. Thank you. It seems to me that the classical world is a lot more equal, and I don't quite know why, but there seem to be more female musicians within that world, and I wondered if you've come across that or not. Um, probably not when I was in it, and I think in general there's more musicians working at the top level that are men still, and I think a lot of it is still built on this very kind of old-fashioned model of like a mentor, a, a master that you learn from. Um, yeah, a teacher that you learn from, which becomes problematic when it's a, a, a man and a woman and the man or anyone in a position of power over another student. And I've definitely kind of come a cropper with that at various times. It's like an extra level of stuff that you have to be aware of. But... Um, brass playing is still very male as well, and I was the only female trumpet player at, at, in um, 
at my music college for quite for quite a while. Um, and and then yeah, I think in the in the kind of amateur levels things are more equal. Like in the brass band that I play in now, um, there's probably an equal number of of men and women. But I play just down. I'm from. I live in Barrow, so I play an Ascom brass band now. Um, but I'm playing flugel at the moment. I'm not playing cornet. So mainly because of this performance anxiety that I still struggle with, and added to that a perfectionist, and added to that very critical. So I can't bear to sit underneath anyone if I think I'm better than. <laughs> but I don't want to sit on the top spot because it's too stressful. So I, right. I've. I sit on flugel and I get some nice solos, but it's not it's not too pressured, so that's why I like it. I really liked your description of the difference between cornet and trumpet, which I've never thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's neither of them are instruments I've ever even hardly picked up, but um, it was yeah the difference in length and what did you call it? Is it called a, a flower head or something? Oh, um, the, the opening. Oh well, there's the bell. Yeah. There. And then the cornet has a much wider, so it's like a shepherd's crook there. And it's all more compact. So it's, it's exactly the same length of tubing, but they look probably about half the size yeah, of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, which breast band? Oh, okay. Yeah, but she gave up when she was about 11. Yeah. Yeah, she just wouldn't bother Oh, and that's just what we're talking about before. The theme's coming out. <laughs> well, Even though we're not... See, the boys are in the brass band that I went well, to. Yeah, we, 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 we all boys, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But when you were talking about the, you know, being picked out as a, you know, a cornet player, despite you were playing trumpet, I've had that like, when I've played concertina, and people have said, you're a guitar player. I'm like, oh, I've rumbled. Yeah. And, and I think you get that a lot in... In music, don't you? Especially when people cross over to a different genre, or even even McCartney. You know, he, yes, he plays bass, but he dances all around, like more like a lead guitarist with it. Mm. Yeah, I think now I have the opposite problem. Like sometimes the conductor glares at me because I'm trumpeting <laughs> on the flugel because it's a very kind of cut into the back of the room, whereas the flugel was meant to be like the the jam in the sandwich between the cornets and the lower the lower brass. But I can make that sound like a cornet now. I can. You know, I can do it consciously, um, and the tr- and if I pick the cornet off, it would probably sound quite it's, trumpety. Is the fingering the same? Yeah, the fingering's exactly so the same. it's just the nature of the instrument. Well, it's a it's a very controversial. It took me so long to research that passage because I was so aware of the you know like, not well. I am being a bit sexist here, but just male brass players. Like you can't find a lot of research that's actually academic research on these things but there's loads of like blogs and websites with loads of just male trumpet players arguing over all of these and they're they're just so fascinating I even quote one of them in the book because I thought it was such a good argument and they love it you know that so I had to research it really carefully because I didn't want a male brass player coming up to me going actually Um, but also the the mouthpiece shape is different so the mouthpiece of the, the cornet is more cup shaped so it feels very different to play it's like walking the equivalent will be walking in a um, a different pair of shoes, I guess, or driving a different car. You can still drive, you can still walk, but it feels strange. Brass the band's um, environment, does it feel like it's being part of classical music then? Does it still no. have something of the working class? Absolutely not part of classical thing? music, no. It's a yeah. completely different culture, I think. Because um, I, I, I spent 
I was in the brass band from the age of 10 to 16, but when I went to A-level college, uh, to do mm. A-levels, I went into an orchestra and it was like a completely different world because, um, yeah, it's, it's still very much working class tradition. You can still turn up with no money and get an instrument. Um, it's very much like sink or swim in the brass band world as well. Like you, you'd still, brass bands still teach like this a lot of them, like you, if you wanted to come along, they'd give you a corner and say, just sit on the back row and you just mm. pick it up by osmosis. Like no one, no one would sit and teach. I mean, some, some do, like I ran a junior band and I would give kids lessons, but the traditional form is to throw you in and you, you just pick it up as you, as you go along. Um, you know how it would have been in ancient Egypt then? You know, how it played, was it, would it be played in, would there be a differentiation? Like there is here, or? Um, well, there, it would have just the the, bra the it would have just been one long tube that was just used for like I'm guessing like war. Knocking um, down walls. Yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> to call the troops. So they think they think those trumpets were like the boy king's trumpets to call his battle his. Yeah. Regiments to walk to to march, or even I suppose fanfares, you know, make fanfares, a grand entrance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if you if you Google King Touch Trumpets BBC, you can hear the recording, and it is like nothing on earth. Like mm. I couldn't, I could play what they played, but not it doesn't capture it because it's like this wild animalistic. I think I've heard sound. it was high, high uh, Selassie stuff in the nineteen thirties. They had long tubes yeah. in the band, and they actually played sort of it was it was like yeah, it was like a, yeah, it was a long long tone. Curly single mm. tube ones, didn't they? With, the, mm. with, that, kind of, with like a dragon's head on that, yes. they would mm. blow or go on into battle and things mm. like that. And it's yeah. just yeah. And when I say the oldest yeah. trumpets in the world, they're the oldest metal trumpets. Yeah. Obviously, we have they would have had animal horns oh. and mm. um, you know, but they're the oldest metal ones. Um, and I just I just think it's fascinating. Like imagine that moment of finding them and then and then that we can oh. hear them. So they're not played, but. Every time they were played, a war broke out. <laughs> so that's why they decided that they were cursed. So like the Second World War broke out, first of all, and the Gulf War. Um, the Gulf War broke out when a cleaner decided to get one of the trumpets out of the cupboard and, and blow it. And that's what made the Gulf War blow yeah. out. Like, I'm not making anything yeah, up. That's obviously true. why we had the Gulf War. Yeah. 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 So then um, trumpets have made oh, another brass have made their way into different genres of music and pop music, you know, certainly the Beatles, but also did the Stepney sisters bring in any well, brass had, for that um, extra power? Well, there was a saxophone player and she was wonderful. She was playing the cello, but she felt it was too, well, it just wasn't, didn't, didn't mm. with the band and we were wanting to do kind of soulful stuff. So she learned the saxophone and she taught herself, had some lessons and did that. And then later on, I was in another women's band a few years later, which did have a brass section. Again, that was all women, so it was saxophone, trumpet, and trombone. That was fun. You know, I mean, you've been in the soul band, but I mean, mm. they sound so good. Mm. So, yes, we did have brass instruments, but not actually, you know, we had a reed to begin with, yeah, but not in that. Um, didn't have a trumpet in the first place. I've seen a lot of modern car bands playing trumpet. Mm. Yeah, a lot of yeah. Bands, you know, not, you know, I mean, 
I can say I can just see from various gigs of people, you know, literally hanging them on their fingers, dancing and, and just, you know, but you never you know, that's that's only that twenty years before that you was like unknown, you know, you Yeah, and so, soul bands as well. Yeah, yeah, of course, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And going and also back South American music, obviously it's mm-hmm. there's a lot of it, you know, you can start making yeah, South American Cuban stuff like that, yeah, trying mm-hmm. to just yeah. And I would say right. going back to that question with about the brass bands and the classical music one of the main differences is in classical music you're encouraged to make your own interpretation of the music this is very stereotyping and broad brush so or the conductor's interpretation at least but in a brass band the the printed copy is king like you you play what is exactly written down and it's really frowned upon even if like we we have this guy um uh, Ian Honeyman, who used to be a, an amazing, well, he is an amazing singer and works professionally as a singer. And he goes mad at us when we're playing like classical music or even like pop music in the brass band because he's like, we could just do it like this. And he wants to jazz it up a little. And the brass banders, like the hardcore brass banders, are like, no, you got to do what's written on the what's written on the page. Stick to the dots. Yeah, yeah, the dots are really important, which I, I find quite amusing. So I am geeking out now. I think we should stop geeking out about brass bands. When it comes to one quick extra question, do you find with like performance anxiety, you mentioned that with something that put you off doing with the music, do you find it's the same with reading? No, not at all. I've never had it with reading and I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I played that from being young and like I spent half my life wanting to be a trumpet player. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to gig. I wanted to travel the world playing my trumpet. And it was all this pressure um, and it never quite happened. Like I did play semi-professionally, but not to the level I wanted to. And then I started writing and now I do travel, like not across the world, I travel across Europe and the UK giving readings. So I'm living that life that I wanted, but doing it through reading. And I'm much happier, like I'm, I'm much happier as a writer, like just doing the little playing I've done now, I find it so strange. Like stressful. If you had a heart rate monitor on me, I'd yeah. be like, don't, 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 you know. But it could be that you're you're almost critic. Yeah, I am, and and it feels very personal yeah. as well. Like that that is literally your breath going into that trumpet. So everything you hear is my body, like going out into the into the world. Whereas the writing is is really a piece of art. I see it as a piece of art on the on the wall, and I can cut it and hack it and change it um, as I want. So it feels like a protection to me it doesn't feel like I'm revealing anything because I'm absolutely in control of whatever I reveal whereas with that that's just a piece of plumbing and I god knows what's going to come out sometimes when I when I pick it up so I'm not in control of it I should be the the best players are aren't they they're just completely in control of it thank you thank you, thank you. Thank you.